0: Morning, everybody. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and uh, it's nice only getting up here at this part of the service. So glad we hired Lucas so he can do the other parts. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know. You know. I'm gonna get. A, I'm gonna get an email about that, aren't I? Okay. All right. One of the things, let me just say, as we entered into this Christmas time, I think one of the things that I wanted to do with this Christmas time is to rejoice in what we have as a church. And so I hope you really enjoyed having Pastor Lucas and Pastor Dave preach this past time. God has blessed us so much uh, by giving us people who can preach the word. And, and seeing Charlie here again this morning uh, reminds us of just how blessed we are as a church. And so. I, I never want to be a pastor who's afraid to give up his pulpit and to share it with others because I think when we have multiple teachers, we are blessed as a church because each of us preaches differently, highlights different things, and that's better for us as a body. So I'm very thankful uh, that we had. And since I mentioned Charlie, uh, you should all uh, make sure you see him and, and see what he's doing up in Canada, that godless nation. Um, just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to get Facebook things from my Canadian friends about that one. All right. Um, I'm doing awesome today, guys. I am doing awesome today. Uh, no, but seriously, I just wanted to, uh, just, just to talk about that and, and just to say that out loud, so, to think as a church of how God has blessed us so that we can all grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. With that being said, uh, let's turn to Isaiah 11 because we're going to talk about the hope of Christmas this morning that that christmas is more than just a nice story about a baby who couldn't find a place in a hotel and that's part of the story and it's amazing that god would work through such humble means to save millions and we'll get there i promise but like we have seen before with pastor lucas pastor dave that that The story doesn't end with baby Jesus. That that baby Jesus grew up, lived among us, suffered among us, experienced life on this earth, and then died and rose again to save millions. To save you, to save me, to save our neighbors, and even to save our enemies. And today, as we look at Isaiah's text again, as we look at chapter 11, we need to see that Christmas is more than a cute story, but that Christmas is a story of hope, of eternal and secure and life-changing hope. Now, as we look at chapter 11 and we see hope there, I want to paint a dark, dark picture from chapter 10. Because just like we've talked about before, to understand good news, a lot of times we need to understand the bad news. Again, a metaphor I've used before is when you go into a jewelry store, what do they put the diamonds on but a black, black cloth? so that you can see the radiance of the diamond that much better. And so I want to paint a very dark and gloomy picture this morning before I show you hope. Chapter 10 of Isaiah is about judgment. It is about God who brings justice and judgment of wickedness. And the picture that Isaiah paints is of God as the almighty lumberjack. Let me read to you from verses 17 and 19 through 19. If you're following along in the Bibles available in the chairs, we're going to be on page 574 for chapter 10 and then 575 for chapter 11. Let me read to you from verses 17 and 19 of chapter 10. The light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forests and of his faithful land, the Lord will destroy both, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. Skip down to verse 33. "Behold, the Lord, God of hosts, will lop the boughs with terrifying power, and in great and the great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one." And so chapter 10 paints this picture of a destroyed forest. Of a smoldering picture of death and destruction. Of as far as the eye can see, there is no life. All the trees are chopped down and ripped out. So will God's judgment on evil be. But... In the midst of the carnage, in the midst of this destruction, comes chapter 11. Look at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In the midst of destruction and devastation, there is one source of life. And in that little branch we find hope. So our big idea today if you're following along in your bulletin is this that at Christmas time we celebrate the guaranteed hope we have through Jesus. So let's look at number one there. The king brings hope. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We have in these first two, two verses a picture of the perfect king. This this kingly figure who offers life amid death and destruction. We know this, and we know he's not just talking about a tree because he says, a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. We have to think, we have to read our Old Testament. Who was Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. that Jesse was the father of the greatest king of Israel, a king of whom it was said had a heart like God's heart. Now, I can't go through all of the connectors, but, but this would be a great study for some of you, is how many times Jesus gets connected to David. How many times in the Bible there is a promise of a king coming from the descendants of David? A king that will make all things new, who will judge justly and rule perfectly. I give you a taste. One is John 7, verse 42. And people were questioning who Jesus was. And it says, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David, and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? That throughout your Bible, there is a connection that David, out of David's family would come the Messiah, the promised Savior. Luke one thirty two says this, He will be great, and we've called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And so we see this hope here in Isaiah of coming to completion in Christ Jesus that this descendant of David, this better David is going to come and be a better king than even the best king ever. And we see this in the description in verse 2 because here's the truth. Only a perfect king can bring hope. And thankfully, this shoot that comes out of the root of Jesse is the perfect king. Look at verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now in the Old Testament... we we see again and again this idea of the Spirit coming on a person for a specific task. That that the Spirit of the Lord, as one writer has put it, endows chosen people for special tasks. But here, it's even more. So so not only do we see that the Spirit has has chosen this, this king, this future king, for a special task, but we see that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him. It doesn't just come and go. That there's a permanence here that this king will always have the spirit of God. And and since having the spirit of God in in a permanent way, he has the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He has the spirit of counsel and might and a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the perfect king. The king who can rule Justly because he has all wisdom and knowledge. A king who will not only lead his people by way of government, but will lead them in the fear of the Lord. Because what that says to me is that this king is not concerned about his own glory, but about the glory of God. Because as we see the fear of the Lord in Scripture, it's a proper understanding of who God is, a proper place for God. And so this king is not just a leader of bureaucracy, but a spiritual leader who points to God himself. That even David, who was the greatest king, you can see in his story how many times he failed. You have Uriah and Bathsheba and that little episode, to put it nicely. You see, David, a man after God's own heart, fail and fail and fail, but this better David will never fail. And so this better David can rule perfectly, can lead his people perfectly, and can win and be victorious and give hope in a way that even the best could not. This is a reminder to us that no king, president, or leader, or any person can ultimately give us hope. Because every person is flawed. We cannot put our hope in people, but we can put our hope in Jesus, the better David. He is the only one worthy of our trust, worthy of our faith. So to have hope, we need Jesus. There's, there's no hope outside of Jesus. Because no one else is the perfect king. And if that's all you hear this morning... Then I did my job. So let's wrap it up. I'm just kidding. I got a bunch more pages. Don't you worry. But but again, this moves us past just the nice little story that's really nice for nativity scenes. Okay, it's nice. It moves us past just a story about a baby who was born in a barn. Because it helps us to see that that baby is the only source of hope in your whole life. And let me tell you, there's nothing more tragic than someone who doesn't have hope. Because we're all looking for it. When I, when I interact with unbelievers, one of the biggest things I see is a lack of hope and we're going to come back to this later, but I I need you to understand this. We are the only ones who have hope because we are the only ones who have Jesus. Our, Our friends and family cannot get hope any other way. And there's nothing more sad or tragic than a person without hope. That will break your heart to see someone who is hopeless. I don't know if you've ever been to the funeral of someone without hope. And there you experience the difference between grief and despair. We mourn the loss of our loved ones. We grieve them. We are sad. That is wonderful. We miss them. Yes, yes, and yes. But our grief is tempered with hope. And so we do not have to despair because that is a terrible place to be. And when we think about sharing with our friends and neighbors the story of Jesus Christ, we offer them hope. We offer them the antidote to despair, a despair that just wastes you away. But that hope is only available through Jesus, because he is the only perfect king. But let's look more at what this hope looks like. We're going to see first that the hope that Jesus offers is a hope of justice. We're going to read, and then I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Let's look at verses 3 and 5. Follow along as I read. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. First thing I want us to see in verse 3 here is the joy that Jesus has and the joy that we can have. Look begin at beginning verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Do you want to have a life of joy? Do you want to know what that looks like? Look at the life of Jesus who delighted in the fear of the Lord, who delighted in God. But, but after... Delighting in the fear of the Lord, delighting in what God wants, we get into this idea of justice. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge. Jesus promises perfect justice. Jesus promises to judge without partiality and to judge wickedness. Look at the end of verse 4. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This is a part of hope we don't think about. This idea that one day all will be made right. That one day all evil will be judged. All wickedness will be brought to justice. I don't think we think about it a lot. Because in general, and comparatively to other countries in the world, we have a pretty just System, But I want you to think about places like China, where the government actively goes after believers in Jesus. I mean, I want you to picture living in a world where we're actually afraid the cops might kick down our church door and come arrest some of us. There are places where the persecution is like that. And sometimes I think those believers understand the need for justice a little bit better than we do. But this is also hope for those who have been hurt, for those who have been persecuted, for those who have really experienced the dark, dark, places in this world. You've been attacked. You've been abused. You have experienced the wickedness that exists in this world because we all know it exists, whether we want to admit it or not. Just read the news. You want to see wickedness? Turn on, turn on your favorite news channel. Pick a dictator. But one day, all will be made right. One day, justice will be perfectly done. And those who have attacked you, those who have abused you, will be brought to justice. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but God guarantees that justice will be done. That wickedness will get the punishment it deserves, and that gives us hope, because we can look forward to a day when there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more wickedness. To, to achieve the perfection of eternity, we we need justice. Because wickedness needs to be punished. And Jesus, the branch of Jesse, offers us perfect justice. And he can offer it. And this is interesting to me. That it is so much a part of his character. He is so complete in his justice that Isaiah describes him as wearing it. Look at verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What I think that means is that when he says he promises justice, he will do it. He is faithful to that promise. And that justice is such a part of his person that he must do it. And so justice will be done. And that gives us hope. It gives us hope that, that God wins in the end. That righteousness triumphs and evil is destroyed. And when he does bring justice, he will usher in an eternity of peace. Let's look at verses 6 to 9, the hope of peace. Peace. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, you will be able to fully and perfectly enjoy peace and rest. And it is so much better than anything you can imagine on here. All conflict gone, all pain gone, all sin gone, and all that is left is peace. And it is so perfect that Isaiah has to describe it in ways that don't make any sense. I mean, I, let's just admit this is a weird picture. Of peace. Okay? I mean, let me pick one. Uh, the lion shall eat straw like an ox. That's weird. Like, you, you can't, that, that never happened. Like, that, that doesn't happen. It's, against, it's just totally opposite of what should be, right? So is God's peace. It's almost otherworldly and how perfect it is, and how wonderful it is. That Isaiah almost has to make up a metaphor to explain it to us. That sin is no more so that a little kid can play in the hole of a cobra. Cobra. I just want you to picture a little kid in your life. I'll picture Theodore. You're welcome to picture Theodore too. But I would not be a good parent if I said, hey, Theodore, there's a cobra hole. Why don't you go stick your arm in it? Okay, that's bad. Anyone, anyone confused about that, don't do that. That's not the application here. Okay, not, don't tell your kids to play with snakes. Okay. But an obvious danger is no longer a danger. So that a little kid can play with a poisonous snake. Sin will one day be eradicated and all its effects, and we will have peace for all eternity. They shall neither hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. No more destruction. No more violence. We we, we can't even picture a world without violence, can we? But one day, one day, we will have rest from all violence. That is the hope we have through Christ. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. That this peace is only available through a saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. That it is the Lord's work that will bring about this peace. It's not just us making things better and better and better and better until they're great. Because even then, it's not even close. But we, we rely on the hope that God will act on our behalf and create a perfectly peaceful eternity for us. Because he's the only one who can. When I read verse 9 of the earth being full of the knowledge of God, it made me think of Genesis chapter 6 which is right before the flood narrative. And it says there, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Our world is still full of violence. But one day, there will only be peace. And that peace is available through God, through Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, through this descendant of David, the better king who will execute perfect justice and give us peace, but but who gets it? Who can have that hope? Who can have that peace? Who can have that promise of justice? Verse 10. I want us to see that there is hope for all people. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In talking about nations there, he's talking about everybody. Again, remember, in, in the Jewish mind, you're either Jewish or you're not Jewish. Right? So it's two parts make a whole sort of thing going on. Here, everybody's included. Every nation is included. That people of all nations will inquire of this messianic king. Paul picks this up in in Romans chapter 15. I'll just read part of the passage here, starting in verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul uses this passage from Isaiah to show that salvation is not just for the Jews but for all people. That every tribe, tongue, and nation can find hope in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of all and He is the Savior who offers a glorious resting place. Look at the end of of verse 10 again. And His resting place shall be glorious. What does he mean when he says resting place? One, I think it means that the, the very place that God dwells, he offers to us. And it's a place of rest where the struggle is done. I think this has to connect us to Revelation chapter 21. Which said, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That one day we will see God face to face for eternity. We will be in his resting place. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Here's the second part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the hope that is available to all people. Of of being with God for eternity. Being in his very glorious presence and, and being done with sickness and tears and death and pain. And that hope is for all people. And it's for all people because it's through the person of Jesus Christ. I read Revelation 21 earlier. Here is Revelation 22. Tell me if it sounds familiar. This is verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is the only one who can give us hope, but he gives hope to everyone who believe in him. I, I want to close in this way. I want to give you two, two messages of hope. And the first is, is hope for you. How does this message give you hope? How does this part of scripture give you hope? The first hope for you is that only through Jesus can we have guaranteed hope. There is no one else who can guarantee hope in the way that Jesus can. I I can endure today knowing that I have hope coming because it has been promised to me and Jesus never breaks a promise. No matter how good I am or how good you are or how influential or powerful, whoever it is you're thinking about, they cannot guarantee a hope in the future. But Jesus can. And so we have a certain hope that no one can offer and no one can take it away from you. I will fail. I will not be trustworthy. But with Jesus, my future and your future is secure. Secondly, is hope for you, that that you can have hope today because you have a future hope. One metaphor I've used before, and I think it's appropriate here, is that when you know the end of the story, it changes your view of the middle of the story. Right? If you're reading a book and you know that the hero is still alive on the last page, you know the fight he's in, On the 100th page, he's going to win. Because he's alive at the end, right? You know. So we know the end of the story. And since we know that for certain because God does not lie, it changes how we live today and what we can persevere through and what we can endure because we know that hope is waiting for us at the end. I can endure hardship today because I know peace and rest and joy and justice are coming later. Secondly, I want us to think about the hope for others. And I'll reiterate what I've said before that no other religion or spiritual system or worldview can offer hope. You just can't. Let me give you an example from the Muslim world. I I just finished a book called The Gospel for Muslims, and in which the author talks about uh, being in a uh, Christian-Muslim dialogue with a Muslim apologist. And uh, the author writes, When it was my turn to ask him a question, I asked the same. Are you sure that you are going to heaven? With great confidence and a perplexing happiness, Omar said, No, I cannot be sure I'm going to paradise. It is possible for me to turn away from Islam. It is possible that I will be unrepentant of some sin, and Allah will not let me enter paradise. Omar gave me a very honest answer, but in doing so, he revealed a major contrast between the Christian and Muslim conceptions of conversion and life with God. In the Muslim view, conversion is an essentially human achieved status, and paradise cannot be guaranteed. There is no assurance of Allah's forgiveness or of entering paradise. And every other religion and system of thought is the same. There is no assurance. There is no hope. And so we offer hope. And we're the only ones who can. And secondly, in hope for others, that this message of hope is for all people. We are called to share this message of hope regardless of skin color, regardless of social status, regardless of any distinction, because it is a hope for all people. And so we offer it to all people. This is why we're involved in missions to other countries and other people groups. This is why I think God is bringing some of the nations to us as we've learned from some of our missionaries, that God is literally moving the nations so that people can hear the hope of Jesus Christ. And we want to be a part of that. And we need to be committed to reaching out on our island. We need to be committed to reaching out through support across the world because God desires all people to hear the message of hope in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't care whether we like them or not, or they make us feel uncomfortable, or they dress funny. God doesn't care about that because they need to hear about Jesus. Friends, there is only one way for hope, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas we celebrate Jesus coming to earth as a baby, growing up and taking our place on the cross, paying the punishment for our sins, and raising, rising from the dead defeating death and so that he can guarantee that those who place their personal trust in Jesus can be saved and forgiven of their sins and have the secure future hope of eternal life and that's what we celebrate at Christmas that hope that we have in Christ let's pray Father God, we thank you for the message of hope you've given us, that we would that we would rest in your hope, that we would find security in the hope we have in Christ, that that hope cannot be taken away. And God, that we would share that message of hope with all people, that we would be committed to offering the hope we have in Christ to those who who do not know you, who live in despair and hopelessness. God, give us the courage to share in God that you would use the Christmas season, that you would use those opportunities and that we would take advantage of them to invite people to hear the message of hope in Jesus Christ. God, bless our efforts as we share that hope with the community around us.